UMC is home to our region's only level one trauma center. On August 3rd, 2019, we were ready and we cared for all trauma victims who were brought to us. Just like on that day, we are ready today to provide the best care in our region to keep our El Paso, El Paso strong. I remember turning around and uh, seeing the shooter come closer to the building. Michelle Grady is one of the dozens of people who was shot on Saturday, August 3rd, 2019 at a Walmart superstore in El Paso, Texas. I called my mom. There was an active shooter and I had been shot three times. She survived, but 23 people were killed. The shooter is facing nearly 100 charges, including federal hate crimes, accused of targeting Mexicans and Latinos. It can get emotional seeing that these are, these are my people that were, were injured and, and, and killed that day. One year since the Cielo Vista Walmart massacre in El Paso in this episode of Borderland Crimes. You'd be hard-pressed to find an El Pasoan who doesn't feel safe living here. After all, El Paso consistently ranks at or near the top of the list of America's safest cities for years, according to FBI crime reports. And the number of murders rarely tops a dozen annually. But on the morning of Saturday, August 3rd, 2019, the bubble protecting this city's residents from the hate and violence seen in other metropolitan areas was popped. That morning was like any other Saturday in the summer. Around 10.30 a.m., people were going to Walmart for groceries and school supplies. A girls' soccer team was fundraising for its final trip of the season, selling aguas frescas, or fruit drinks, outside the entrance to the superstore. 34-year-old Michelle Grady saw the girls and figured that after she bought groceries, she would give them her change. I had done, been done shopping, and I was going over to buy something from the, uh, the fundraiser. And that's when the, the shots rang out. turning around and, and, and looking because it it sounded like fireworks um, and I remember just being confused as to you know it was morning um, Saturday morning that didn't make sense I remember uh, turning around and uh, seeing the shooter come um, closer to the building I believe I was shot the first time uh, from the hand to my thigh um, while I was standing there. And then when I started to move, you know, two other shots. Um, but I, I ended up falling, and um, I didn't realize at the time why I fell. Later we found out that, like, my pelvis on the left side was shattered. 
The shooter sprayed the outside of the Walmart with bullets from a semi-automatic rifle, then made his way into the store and fired off more shots, killing and wounding dozens before taking off. At first, I didn't think I was going to make it because once I hit the floor, um, blood started coming out of my mouth. And so I know that's a sign of internal bleeding. I know, you know, not a good sign. Um, And I was just waiting for the ambulances to come. In my mind, I told myself, if I stay awake, if I stay conscious, I'll be okay. Because I had a big part of me that said, just go to sleep, just rest, go to sleep. But then I had this other part of me saying, no, if you go to sleep, that's it. You got to stay active. People need to know, you know, what your blood type is. <laughs> but I just, in my mind, if I stayed a lot uh, awake, I would be able to stay alive. Weeks ahead of the anniversary, Michelle shared her frightening experience in a recording for University Medical Center, the hospital where she was treated. A Walmart employee uh, came out after the, the shots uh, stopped. And he came out and he asked me, you know, are you okay? Where were you shot? I was very aware of where I was shot and how many times. Um, and uh, I told him, and he began taking off like layers of, of his clothes so he could wrap my wounds to try to stop some bleeding. At some point, I called my mom before the ambulances had arrived. She made me repeat it because she didn't believe, you know, it's just just not something you hear. I I repeated it again to her, you know, that there was an uh, active shooter and I had been shot three times. I was trying to tell her goodbye. She wouldn't let me finish any of my sentences and she told me, I'm I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna find you. Michelle's mom was at Cielo Vista Mall nearby, in a pretty large shopping area, about a mile long. It includes the mall, a super Walmart, a Sam's Club, cinemas, and some restaurants. It's right off of I-10, and you can see Mexico just a couple of miles south of it. Because of its proximity to the border, the Cielo Vista Walmart is one of America's busiest superstores. And that morning, it was the site of a massacre. Again, here's Michelle. Thomas is the guy's name who who, who helped me, the, the Walmart employee. He had told my mom, I'm going to go across to the Sam's and get a cart because the, the ambulances had shown up by that time. But they hadn't come down the hill. So he went and got me one of those flatbed carts from Sam's. He was telling my mom to hold the pressure on my thigh. And I remember feeling her hand shake. He, he ran back over, and both my mother and Thomas loaded me up on this flatbed cart, and they ran me up the hill. Within minutes, videos from inside and outside of the store taken both during and after the massacre began circulating through text messages and social media. Everybody, let's get out. Come on. 
One video recorded by Silvia Saucedo captured the shooting. Silvia heard gunshots, grabbed her elderly mother, and hid under a table at the McDonald's inside the Walmart. You can only see someone lying under a counter, flat on the floor. What you can hear is much more chilling. Other videos showed what looked like a war zone, but the victims weren't on a battlefield. They were regular people, dads and grandfathers lying motionless outside the entrance near the fundraising table while panicked moms cried out for their children. Stunned grandmothers clutching bleeding wounds as they stumbled outside the store. Walmart employees attempting first aid on customers. Other customers lying in pools of blood. And that's what really gives me the anxiety, that gives me um, some pause of, of those patients, those people that didn't become our patients, that didn't make it. That's what really um, kind of gets to me. Dr. Alejandro Rios Tovar, a trauma surgeon at University Medical Center, clearly still affected by what he witnessed August 3rd, 2019. About 10 a.m., I had finished uh, doing a surgery on my way out of the hospital and had gone uh, home, uh, picked up some food, and I saw a text message from uh, Alan Tyrock, our trauma medical director, who was out of town, actually. And he uh, sent a text message to me and to other people in the department saying that there was a, a mass casualty uh, event that I didn't really believe was a real thing. In my mind, it was just uh, a couple of people. I was debating whether or not to go into the hospital until I saw more text messages saying this is a real thing. I got there at uh, 11.17. Um, I checked the time and I said, I parked in the, in the ambulance bay area and uh, went in through the ambulance doors and every, every, pretty much every room was full already and I, I couldn't tell which, which direction to go, to be honest. There are people that came in um, uh, by ambulance, people that come in uh, by their own vehicle um, and I was just trying to make sense of it all. The, the scene there was, was chaos, uh, but it's always a chaotic scene in trauma. But uh, there it was just, my fear was, do we have enough resources to take care of everyone? You know, I didn't know how many people were coming in. I can, before I read the hospital, I thought it was going to be two or three people. Uh, when I got there, I said, is there going to be 40 or 50 people? I just didn't know. Dr. Tovar said practically every surgeon or surgical residence showed up to help, even if they had already gone home for the day or were not scheduled to work. Dr. Uh, one of my residents, Jisoo Kim, was there with me. He was on call with me the night before, so he had also 
been there 30 hours without sleep and uh, I was surprised to see him because I said I thought you went home already you're supposed to be at home what are you doing here and, and he um, he and I took care of um, one of our um, first uh, trauma patients together that uh, that ended up not uh, not surviving we did uh, everything we could to 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 bring her back but um, by that point uh, we knew that it was futile mm -hmm. and uh, she didn't survive Dr. Tovar is talking about 24-year-old Jordan Anchondo. The young mother and her husband, 23-year-old Andre Anchondo, were shopping in the Walmart with their newborn son. Police say both were riddled with bullets as they threw themselves over their baby to protect him. Andre died inside the Walmart. Their baby survived. Jordan's sister, Leta Jombrowski, was distraught when she spoke to reporters about the death of her sister on August 4th, 2019. And I miss her so much. I'd give my life and trade for hers. She had three babies she needed to raise. Like, don't and he didn't even give me the opportunity to raise her. And that's what happened. 21 other people were killed in the massacre the youngest, 15-year-old Javier Rodriguez. 41-year-old Leo Campos and his wife, 56-year-old Maribel Hernandez. 46-year-old Ivan Manzano. 57-year-old Elsa Mendoza de la Mora. 58-year-old Maria Legarreta. 60-year-old Arturo Benavides. 61-year-old Gloria Marquez. 61-year-old Jorge Carrillo Garcia. 63-year-old Margie Record. 63-year-old David Johnson. 66-year-old Alexander Hoffman. 66-year-old Sarah Esther Regalado Muriel. 68-year-old Adolfo Cerros Hernandez. Raul and Maria Flores, a husband and wife, both 77. 77-year-old Juan Velasquez, 82-year-old Teresa Sanchez, 86-year-old Angelina Silva Inglesby, and 90-year-old Luis Juarez. On April 26th, nearly nine months after the shooting, 36-year-old Guillermo Memo Garcia died due to complications from his injuries. Memo, nicknamed Tank because of his size, was a coach of the girls' soccer team that was holding the fundraiser outside the Walmart entrance. He had not left the hospital since being shot. His wife, Jessica, was also shot but has recovered from the wound to her leg. Jessica rarely left his bedside. She opened up about her tremendous loss to reporters during a vigil for Memo outside the hospital the evening after he died. I kept saying that, you know, I'm ready. If, if you're ready, like, I'm proud of you. You know, you put up a good fight. But the pain that I feel, I've never been, I don't think I ever would have been ready for that. Like, just to turn and know now that even though he hasn't been in our bed for almost nine months now like to know that he's never going to come back 
The accused shooter is Patrick Crucius. He turned himself into law enforcement about a block away from the Walmart 27 minutes after the shooting. Police said the now 22-year-old from Allen, Texas, confessed to driving to El Paso from his home near Dallas that's nearly 10 hours away just to target Mexicans. He had posted a manifesto online in the hours before the shooting about what he called the Hispanic invasion of the state. Seven of the shooting victims were Mexican nationals. One was a German who lived in Juarez, the Mexican city across the border from El Paso. The rest were American citizens, a majority of them Hispanic. Alfaro Mena, the stepson of shooting victim Juan Velasquez, said during an interview the day after his stepfather was killed that he felt like Mexican-Americans were in the crosshairs. We're, we're afraid to go out to Walmart. We're afraid to go out to the street because we feel like we're being hunted. I mean, because of our, our color, our skin color. You have, no is, you have no doubts that he was targeting your parents because... Not just my... Well, my parents because... There were Hispanic, yes. El Paso is one of the largest American cities along the southern U.S. border and is one of the closest to Mexico. Data reported by the Census Bureau in 2019 shows that El Paso is more than 82 percent Hispanic. When this shooting happened, so many El Pasoans said it felt like it was an attack on the city, on the people, on the culture, on the heritage. It's a sentiment echoed by Dr. Tovar. It's um, it can get emotional seeing that these are these are my people, that that were were injured and and, and killed that day. That day at the Walmart, emergency crews were realizing that Michelle Grady's injuries were more serious. They were talking to me and asking me questions, and I was having a hard time breathing. And I didn't understand. I didn't know if I was having a panic attack or what the reason was for that. But um, then they put an oxygen mask on me. And as it turned out, one of my lungs was penetrated by a bullet. So. Dr. Tovar performed a life-saving surgery on Michelle that morning. She was the most calm out of all the patients I saw that morning. Um, it was uh, surprisingly calm, is what I recall. Um, I don't know if it was the shock of everything that's going on or, 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 or medications, I, I don't know, but you, you just, um, and I told her this after the fact, I told her that seeing how, how calm and, and you know, she was kind of gave me a sense of calm that things were gonna be okay. In the weeks after the shooting, Dr. Tovar went before the U.S. Congress to talk about gun violence and the need for gun control reform. I just want to reinforce that even if other things seem to kind of take precedence and, and, and the spotlight in the media and the news with COVID, and this gun violence doesn't stop. And it's not going to stop unless we recognize that it's a problem. As for Michelle, 
She has undergone numerous surgeries over the last 11 months and is working to overcome the physical trauma. I, I don't know anything about guns, so when I was shot, I knew where they were, but I figured they'd go in and come straight out. So I didn't realize how injured that I was. Um, I remember waking up in the hospital and telling my mom, like, I just want to go walk around. I feel like I, I, I'm stuck here in the bed. I want to walk around. I didn't realize at that point that I couldn't walk um, yet and had surgery. I've pushed myself the, the best that I can. You know, so I have my days, of mm -hmm. course, where I don't want to do anything. But um, I can walk, uh, thank God. I have pain, but it's, it's not debilitating. I can work through it. And also, you know, I had said my prayer on the ground, and I felt like I was, I got an answer. I feel like I got an answer, and because I am not a calm person, I, I'm not calm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I know that that was, that was otherworldly, that was an answered prayer. Faith has sustained Michelle, who is the daughter of a pastor, but she also knows there's psychological trauma. I had a co-worker and his wife that were also in, um, in the Walmart same time of the shooting, and um, unfortunately, uh, they didn't make it. During this interview, she revealed that she worked with Leo Campos, who was killed inside the Walmart along with his wife, Maribel. He unfortunately didn't make it to the, on an ambulance or, or anything. He, he passed away in the store along with his wife. And, um, yeah, I just like to do my best to to remember and to honor those who didn't make it. Uh, I, I don't I don't take it for granted that you know that I've made it this far and I've recovered as much as I have mentally and spiritually. Those are all things that I take I think take work daily on a daily basis, sometimes momentary basis. Um, but but I'm, I'm recovering. I have some things that will never be the same. I'm here, you know, as long as I have life, I have a chance to work on those things. I am so thankful that people were so uh, sympathetic and so ready to respond. Um, I'm so thankful that people were so um, selfless and, you know, I can't imagine how tired they were and how stressed they were with multiple patients coming in and them trying to save everyone. I'm, I'm in counseling and I have to say, I do recommend counseling now. I didn't think that I needed it because I thought I was doing fine. Um, my sister, who's a psychology major, was like, she secretly set me up with the counselor. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and uh, I, I definitely recommend it. Um, sometimes there are things, uh, there's triggers, of course, but there's also other things that you don't even realize are, are connected. 
that are connected and it can really stunt your your growth so don't be afraid of therapy don't be afraid of talking and reaching out for help Patrick Crucius was indicted by an El Paso County grand jury in September 2019 on a charge of capital murder of multiple persons. The district attorney said he would seek a death sentence. The U.S. Department of Justice has not announced a decision about the sentence it's pursuing yet. Crucius also faces 90 counts of federal hate crimes and gun charges. The federal indictment includes charges of hate crimes resulting in death, use of a firearm to commit murder during and in relation to a crime of violence, hate crimes involving an attempt to kill, and use of a firearm during and in relation to a crime of violence. The federal defense team is arguing their client has diagnosed mental disabilities. The U.S. Attorney for West Texas said any further delay in the prosecution would amount to a miscarriage of justice. But the pandemic is already delaying the process. Even the federal judge has admitted that the COVID-19 pandemic has effectively crippled the defense team's ability to conduct in-person investigations with witnesses. Crucius, who has been under suicide watch since the day he was detained, has pleaded not guilty to the state and federal charges. A trial date has not been set in either case. We need to come together as much as we can. There's so much divide racially. Um, <laughs> there, there, there's so much divide. There's so much hate in the world and we really the only thing that can conquer hate is love so we need to do a better job of understanding each other and a note about my fellow el pasoans so many people who have lived here and moved on or who have visited the city often remark that the residents are kind that they're nice and that they're caring when El Paso experienced its darkest day, the people became the light. It was truly beautiful to see how everyone came together on August 3rd and in the days and weeks after. The selflessness was evident in the long lines of donors at blood banks, the heartfelt memorial that stretched along the Walmart property line for a city block filled with flowers and artwork, candles and headmade signs stating El Paso Strong, and 22 white wooden crosses like the ones seen at so many mass shooting sites, as well as the throngs of visitors who quietly comforted each other there daily. For your family? And when Margie Record's husband asked if the community would attend her funeral because he thought he would be the only one there, hundreds of El Pasoans stepped up to support this man they didn't know, filling up a chapel, spilling out onto the sidewalk, and wrapping around the block. I lost my son two years ago. And when the man said he didn't have no family, he lost his wife, he hit me right in my heart. I said, I will personally be there to see him, support him. I know what it's like to have the feeling he's going through. Me and my wife, we said, we will be there for him.
Thanks to the University Medical Center of El Paso, the hospital conducted the interviews with Michelle Grady and Dr. Alejandro Rios Tovar for their own podcast about the role the hospital played in responding to the mass shooting and shared the interviews with me. ABC 7's Borderland Crimes is a podcast produced, written, and edited by me, Stephanie Valle. Our production manager is Chris Swan. Our special projects director is John McMinn. Leslie Engel is our content manager. And Brenda Danza Swan is our news director. Stay tuned. Another episode of Borderland Crimes is coming soon. UMC is home to our region's only level one trauma center. On August 3rd, 2019, we were ready and we cared for all trauma victims who were brought to us. Just like on that day, we are ready today to provide the best care in our region to keep our El Paso, El Paso strong.